Second Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 6, it says, And for this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and discipline. That's the NASB. I know we're all familiar with power, love, and a sound mind. And God has been drilling that in my head over and over and over and over and over. I lost my But the first part of that where it says about stirring up that gift that was, was given to you, imparted to you by the laying on of hands. And there is just something that needs to be rekindled in us all the time, all the time rekindling. It's not like you just get it once and, it, and you keep it. It has to constantly be stirred up. Fellowship does that. Getting in the Word does that. Getting in prayer. Getting in praise and worship. I was talking to Judah and I was saying, Son, if you can just learn, if you praise God, that puts strength in you like you'd never seen before. If you got a problem, you praise God, you get through it. In your prayers, they're magnified when you praise God. And I was talking to the boys and I was saying, Son, when you lift your hands up, you're just basically saying, Lord, you're above me and I'm honoring your position. I love you. You are great and mighty. We need to continue to, to stir those things up. And for this reason, I remind you, this is Paul talking to Timothy. This is Paul talking to Timothy, and he's saying, I have to remind you. For this reason, I remind you, kindle afresh the gift, the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. We all know that each one of us has been given a measure of faith. The Word says that. We all walk in a gift, too. We're all one body but we have different giftings. That's, that's what makes us a whole. But we need to kindle anew those gifts that are in us to stir them up. If there's ever an area that the body's lacking, God didn't design it to lack. Amen? Can you agree with me? God did not design the body to lack. But if there is an area of lack, it's because we need to stir up again. We need to rekindle those gifts that have been given to us that are like anew. That's just what God's been speaking to me like. Almost like my first love. Just stirring it up, stirring it up, getting excited. You remember the first time the Holy Spirit got in you, you got excited. Maybe you, you would weep because He was touching your emotions. Maybe He just, man, he, he pulled those calluses off your heart and He revealed that soft spot again. Man, that's just rekindling that over and over. Rekindle it, stir it up, stir it up. There would be no lack in the body. Just stir it up. Amen. So that goes along right along with what I just said too. And so you look at that. So you know one of the things that the devil attacks is he attacks momentum. And so all of a sudden you feel down. You don't feel like doing that kind of stuff. But you've got to stir up that gift. You've got to stay in that place. Uh, Justin and I were having a conversation the other day, and I, we were talking about how everything can be going great in God, and then it's like. You know, a day later, everything shifts, and then we're like, oh, man, you know, and we're all beat up, and, and, and even walking in a place where everything was so great, and then you go a little bit down the road, and you're like, how did I get here in this low place? What in the world happened? I remember um, when I was, uh, sometimes I've experienced that after I come off of a fast or something. I'm sitting there, and like in the fast, I'm like, yeah! You know, is God is awesome, and then, but then it's like the day or two after the fast, and I'm like, golly, you know, just what in the world? I'm like, I should not be feeling this way. I just did this awesome fast. Why am I feeling this way now? And it, it's amazing how hunger will change things. It's amazing how humility will change things. And it's on us to stir up the gift. It's on us to stir it up. See, the devil wants to keep us in this place of mediocre, but God wants to keep us in the place of hot and on fire for him. But it's up to us. He's provided that through Christ, but it's up to us to put on uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit, to put on that fire and keep that fire. It's up to us to do that. What is he talking about here when he says stir up the gift? I mean, what is he? He's actually referring to the gift of the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the overflow of the Holy Spirit. So how would you go about stirring that gift? Because he's telling Timothy, you stir it up for yourself, right? How would you go about stirring that gift up? 
How would you kindle it? How would you stoke the, the flames and allow that fresh breath of the Holy Spirit to come in again? How would you do that? Well, you would do the same thing that happened when it first occurred. You would step into it by praying in the Spirit. If you've been filled in the Spirit, all you do is you just start praying in the Spirit and kindling that flame, kindling it. Let your heart, you know, when you pray, your heart needs to be engaged. It can't just be words, oh, Father, thank you so much for this. No, I need to get my heart engaged in this. I need to get, I need to get passionate about this. I need, I need to get passionate for it. Uh, earlier this week, Nicole and I were talking about, we need to carry a passion. You know, but that means we've got to get, you know, sometimes allow ourselves to get emotional when we don't feel like getting emotional. You know, I can generally take, uh, it was the funniest thing uh, because uh, I wish Paul was here tonight, but George is because these were my two, two guys that, that was the funniest thing ever. So we went to the hockey game this year, right? And like Paul, when he talks to you, he's very expressive and he, he's like this, you know, and, and then I did this and then I did this. And uh, I took him to the hockey game and he went like this. And he watched it for the whole time. I'm like, no conversation. It was the funniest thing. I hope Paul's watching. And uh, anyway, it was like no conversation for three hours. I'm like, what happened? You know. And then I took George, and you know, George is pretty quiet and reserved and, and, and laid back and you know, in general and everything. I took George, and he's like, kill him. You know, beat him up. Fight, fight. And I was like, good gracious. Talk about two extremes. But the, it's funny how people react to different things. But what we need to do, what I, the point was, a lot of times we'll go to a hockey game or we'll go to some kind of athletic competition and people will get riled up and they'll get fired up because they have accepted that competition is worth emotion. But where does God fall in that? Is God worth our emotion? Is God worth our passion? Then we need to be accepting of that, that He is worth passion he is worth going after he is worth expressing ourselves he's worth that and this all of a sudden when we move into that place when we move into that place there's something that happens because our heart gets engaged and now we're not just speaking words we are stirring up the gift we are kindling afresh that gift those flames of fire, you know, we're, we're stirring that up. We need to be that kind of person that understands how to, because all the devil wants to do, one thing I've really learned in, in pastoring is that, man, the devil is after momentum. He is after momentum. If he can stop momentum, he's done a great thing for his side. He is after momentum. And so what he'll do is, you'll be doing great, you'll be doing great, and then he'll start talk to, talking to you about how negative this is or how bad that is. And he doesn't, he's not just trying to wipe you out right there in one blow. It's the small foxes that spoil the vine. What he's trying to do, he's trying to just get you off just ever so slightly. And then tomorrow he'll work on getting you off just a little bit more slightly. And then before you know it, a week goes by and you are down in the dumps and you're wondering why it looks like your life is going down the drain and and then the only now it's really difficult on the flesh to get it turned around right because now you don't feel like it you know six days ago you could have praised God if you decided to put it on so what he does he just tries to get you to not praise that day maybe forget about it maybe something else comes up and he just tries to just great on you until there's nothing left in the tank and then all of a sudden you're in the place where you feel like there's nothing this is where we need to praise God when we need to put on the garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness when we need to be purposed and intentional engage our heart be passionate right this is where we need that amen that was a good mini message thank you Chris for starting that or I guess I started it and then you you added then I finished I reckon let's turn to Joshua chapter 1 I want to I wasn't sure what the Lord wanted to do or talk about tonight but I think that you'll enjoy this is what is what was special about Joshua what was special about him you know what was there's there's three things important that I think I've seen in the word that pretty big things about him 
But let's look at the end result, sort of the end result, the beginning of his leadership here. He says in uh, Joshua chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am given to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot tread, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. Every place where your foot treads, where the sole of your foot touches, I've given you that place. You notice he said this to Moses, now he's saying it to Joshua, like what he said, just as I told Moses, hey, where you go, I'm giving it to you. He says, every place where you go, I'm giving it to you. This is a place where we can live at, so that every place we walk in in life, it now belongs to us and the Lord. This is a beautiful thing. And see, this is what the devil doesn't want us to get a hold of, but it's what God absolutely wants us to get a hold of, is that when I walk into a place, it's mine. Mine and Jesus's. Amen? It's ours. We're, we're not worried about whether or not we're going to win this thing. It's ours already because we showed up. Praise God. This is something that Joshua carried, and you can carry too if you'll do the things that Joshua did. You know, he's not a respecter of persons, and what Joshua needed to do, we need to be doers of that too, and then we will walk in the things that Joshua walked in. So we'll look at what he did, but let's continue to look at the good things that he had. Everywhere you go, I've given it to you. He says, verse 4, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. And here's another great one. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. No man. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. I think that you can take this and, and say, just as God was with Moses and just as God was with Joshua, the Lord would say, I will be with you. I will be with you when you step on that land, when you step on that soil. I will be with you when that person's in front of you. When that person's in front of you and you need a sale and you need a customer, God's going to be with you to help you and give you favor. When somebody's trying to come against you, God will be with you. They can't stand before you because you are a carrier of the presence of God, of the anointing of God. You are a carrier of His glory, of the weight of His glory, of His eternal nature, of His anointing. That's who you are. That's who you are. Then he says, verse 6, Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Is he saying be strong and courageous because he will never need strength and he will never need courage? He's telling them because he's basically saying right here, be strong and courageous. Because he's basically telling you, because you're going to need some strength and you're going to need some courage, right? Courage. Amen? Courage. <laughs> Nicole went, ah. <laughs> You're going to need some courage. In other words, there's going to be some places where your flesh is going to feel weak, Joshua. There's going to be some places where your flesh wants to feel faint because of the things that you face. All right. It's not saying you won't face things. It's saying that in the middle of it, you can be strong and courageous because I'm with you. See, we we got to put this on. In other words, what he's telling Joshua is put something on. Put on strength. Put on courageousness. Put it on. Don't, don't act like it's just going to come on you. In other words, Joshua couldn't walk in there and go, oh, woe is me. You know, Eeyore it up and walk into the promised land thinking he's going to win. He's going to walk into the promised land and win because he says, the Lord is with me. He's my strength and my shield. He's my rock and my salvation. He's who I need. And he puts that on. He's purpose. He's intentional about it. Amen. 
Verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the, le to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. God wants you to be successful wherever you go. But you don't just walk into it because you got born again. You walk into it because you become a purpose and intentional person. A purpose and intentional Christian. Stirring up the gift. Putting on strength. Putting on courageousness. These are, these are commands. And it's also because you follow what the Lord tells us to do. You know the word. You observe the word. You do the word, and then you'll make your way successful wherever you go. You will be, you will have success. In other words, we need to follow these patterns, not just expect. See, a lot of people today, they're going, oh, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And in his sovereign, sovereignty, he set ways, and he called his ways holy and when we walk in those ways they produce some amazing supernatural results but if we don't walk in his ways if we walk in a way that just lets life happen to us instead of us happening to life on purpose intentional then it's not going to happen but when we get purpose and when we get intentional and we when we move in strength and we move in courageousness see i think that the lord is looking for the kind of people that will into a situation and they're ready to step in and go where's it at where's a land for me to take and they're not necessarily looking for trouble but they ain't scared of it they're not they're not afraid of it this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth in other words we need to be confessing i am strong in the lord and the power of his might I'm not afraid of the things that I see with my eyes. I keep my eyes not on things that are temporal, but I set them on things that are eternal. I set my eyes on the king. I set my eyes on his authority. I set my eyes on his power. I set my eyes on his promise. Amen? Amen. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. In other words, I put the confessions of his word, of his promises, of his strengthening, I put them in my mouth. I confess them. I uphold them. I hold on to the profession of my faith in any area where I'm applying faith. I hold on to it and I confess it. And I shall meditate on it, the word, day and night. Day and night. Why? So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have success. Look at these promises that he's given to Joshua. And I want to, I want to tell you right now, he says meditate on the word, this book of the law, day and night. Day and night, day and night, day and night, day and night. That's a lot of meditating on the word. You know what it's not a lot of? It's not a lot of watching every show that comes on. It's not a lot of Facebooking it. It's not a lot of watching movies. It's not a lot of listening to the latest gossip. It's not a lot of a lot of other things that don't have anything to do with God. And it's not that you can't do some of those things, but you can't allow yourself to get entangled. That is if you want success. If you want success and to be prosperous in any way that you go, then you're going to have to do, you're going to have to walk in those ways that God calls holy. If you don't care about being successful and you don't mind getting your you know, world blown apart on a regular basis, then you go do whatever you want to. But if you want to walk in these, then you've got to follow the patterns and the ways that God calls holy. And so he's already laid this out. This is structure. This is law according to the word of God. It doesn't change. It's just a matter of now, whereas men had a really hard time because they weren't empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now we can walk in those ways empowered by the Holy Spirit and we can see the end result of that success. 
versus men in the Old Testament, they didn't have the infilling of the Holy Spirit. They didn't have the comforter, the one who gives them strength to walk out all of that and fulfill everything that God needs. We can now and see the end result of success and prosperous, being prosperous. Now we can walk those things out through Christ. But see, we, what the devil is really after in our lives a lot, of the, a lot of times is he is after your attention. He's after, he, if we're going to meditate on the word day and night, what does he do? If he says, look, if they meditate on the word day and night, what do I need to do? I just need to get them off of the word. I need to get them off of thinking about God, looking at the Father. So what does he do? He throws stuff in our way. He throws sports. He throws everything else but the Word. Or he'll let them hang out with people that have no power in there. You know, go to a church that has no power, no demonstration, and then all of a sudden they think that they're living a life. But Paul says, look, you tell me you talk all this talk, but if you're not bringing power, you're not bringing demonstration, you've got nothing. You're not living it. You're lukewarm is what Paul was saying. So we need to make sure that we walk in what God has called us to and hang out and meditate on these things and not just talk about it, but see results in our lives. Are we winning people to the Lord? Are we making disciples? Are we living in the abundance of divine health? Are we living in a prosperity and making our way successful and helping other people to do that as well? Are we doing every good deed out of our abundance in 2 Corinthians 9? Are we looking to do these things are we just talking about it but it comes back to the devil's after our attention and your flesh is more than happy to oblige them so you've got to purpose yourself and be intentional to walk these things out now going on here he says verse 9 have i not commanded you be strong and courageous do not tremble or to be dismayed for the lord your god is with you wherever you go wherever you go have you ever gone through maybe like today where you just didn't feel like the lord was with you anybody besides me felt like that before man i don't even know if he's with me right now you ever felt like that but is he with you yes, yes. so that's just a feeling all right well if that's just a feeling that's basically lying to you, then the other side of that is then I need to act like he's really with me. But if I'm going to act like the feeling is true and then I'll walk around like Eeyore, you know, oh, woe is me. I wish it would get better. But that's not purpose and that's not intentional. That's not being strong. That's not being courageous. We have to be purpose. We have to be intentional. We have to do what God says to do. But here's a question. Let's turn over to Numbers chapter 13, 25. So this is interesting. Because all these promises to Joshua are things that we can hold on to. I want you to determine right now, I'm receiving something tonight. Amen. Something's, something's being imparted to me. I want you to get that inside of you. Something's being imparted to me. Some things have already been imparted, whether you recognize it or not. Something's happening. My life is changing tonight. My life is changing at this Holy Spirit service. My life is changing. God is changing me right now. God is doing something. My life's never going to be the same. Why? Because I'm here. Because I'm hearing this message. My life's never going to be the same. God is with me. Now see, it's interesting because in Numbers, uh, here they are, and they're getting ready to go into the promised land. And so Moses sends the 12 spies to spy out the land, right? And then the spies come back with a report. And so the only ones who have a good report are Joshua and Caleb, right? Joshua and Caleb. The other ten, not so good. They weren't strong and courageous. But Joshua and Caleb, they had a good report. Let's just read about that real quick. Uh, verse 
25, when they returned from spying out the land at the end of the 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Thus they told him and said, We went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Uh, Amalek is living in the land of the Negev, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country, and the Canaanites are living by the sea and the side of Jordan. All right, so in other words, hey, yeah, that's a great land. It's a great promised land, right? And, and this is very interesting because how many of you have a promised land of God? Do you have divine help? Do you have a place of rest that still remains for you today, a place of rest? Do you have prosperity made to do well, a part of salvation? Do you have restoration, protection, deliverance, salvation? You have all of those things. But just because it's before you doesn't mean that you enter into it. No, see, you have to listen to this, please, very, very carefully, very closely. You have to determine what's my report. What's my report? Because we can say, oh yeah, God promised us some great big things. But I don't know if I believe that we can go take it, even though the Lord told us we could have it. See, your healing, your prosperity, your protection, your deliverance, your strength, your place of rest, with no toil. It's there. It's paid for. Christ has paid for it. But just because it's there doesn't determine what your report is. You determine your report. You determine whether or not to believe the word of the Lord on each one of those promises that is yes and amen. You determine that. There was a whole, there was 10 other spies that said, hey, God's told us to go into the land, but it's too big. They're too mean. And just like Christians today will say, I know that God promised that I could be healed, but he doesn't know what the doctors told me. I know he told me that I could be well, but, you know, it's just too deep. I'm in too deep of a debt. See, at some point you got to decide, I believe the Lord and the promise of God above all things, above everything else. Let God be true in every man a liar, including myself, if myself feels that way. Even if I feel like not believing it, I'm not even going to believe myself. I will believe his word. You got to become like a Joshua and a Caleb here. It says, Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. See, this is a heart that puts on something. We shall by all means go up, we will surely overcome it. And what's he going off of? I mean, they obviously look like they're bigger than what. The Israelites were, in the minds of most people, what was Caleb going off of? The promise of God. The word of the Lord. God's made me a promise. He called himself Jehovah Rapha. He's my healer. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is my provider. He's my deliverer. He's my protector. He is the Lord, my restoration, my salvation. He saves me from everything. See, you've got to put his word in you. And you've got to stand for it and believe it enough to stand up to the devil, resist him, and call him a liar and tell your flesh, you don't have a voice in this either. I trust the Lord. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are too strong for us. So they gave out the sons of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. 
They also, there also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Enoch, are a part of the Nephilim, and we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Then all the congregation lifted up their voice. See, they listened to a wrong report. They didn't listen to Joshua and Caleb. They listened to a wrong report. And all of a sudden, the, the, it's like, oh, no, listen to what they're saying. They're listening more to what man says than what God says. You've got a couple of guys. They are not in the majority, but they're saying, trust God, believe God. We can surely overcome it. We can surely overcome it. And they could. They walked right into the land after this generation died out. But this generation had to die out because they had no overcoming inside of them anymore. They had too much bondage that they weren't willing to let go of. And then the congregation says this. They lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. They went to sleep weeping and crying, scared, fearful. And look, you know what? I think all of us have been that people before. It's not that we've been that people or that we even feel like we're that people now. It's what are you going to do with it now? Which voice are you going to listen to? The voice of fear or the voice of a promise? The voice of facts or the voice of truth? There's a difference between the two. There's a lot of people that will tell you facts in this world, but there's no truth in them. There's no truth. Then they go on to say, All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, Would that we have died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the swords? Our wives and our little ones were, will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? My gracious. They're just letting their mind go wherever their mind will go now. And I'll tell you, as a pastor, I cannot tell you how many times I've seen that same mindset take on people. And they just let their mind run and take them into places. And all of a sudden, they can't overcome a thing. And until that mindset dies within them, they cannot enter a promised land. They can't enter a promise. They've got to kill that mindset and learn from the word of truth and put that on. <laughs> So they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. We don't like the way this is looking. Give us another leader. Uh, the problem's not in the leader, fellas. <laughs> the problem's not in the leader. The problem is in your hearts. It's not in the leader. How many times, oh my goodness, the stories of churches that don't want to go forward with God. And so they go, let's get us another preacher. Ooh, gracious. How many times? How many times? Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of all the assembly of the congregation of the sons of Israel. Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jeff, Jay, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, the land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not Fear them. Look, do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear. Rebellion and fear, they go together. You see rebellion, you're going to probably see fear. You see fear, you're probably going to see rebellion. They go hand in hand. <laughs> Verse 10, but all the congregation said, stone them with stones. <laughs> stone them with stones. Then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the sons of Israel. Well, that was a happy, shiny moment for Israel, huh? <laughs> shiny, happy people in the, in the wilderness. <laughs> Man. But here's the thing. Here's the question. 
I mean, Caleb's the one who stood up and quieted the people. How come when we get to Joshua chapter 1, it's not Caleb chapter 1? How come it's Joshua who receives the anointing as the leader of Israel when it's time and not Caleb? I mean, Caleb looks pretty strong right here. He, quiet, I mean, he stands up and quiets all the people, it says. Joshua just kind of backed up his testimony. So how come it's not Caleb who then leads? Let's go. So one thing you see out of Joshua becoming the leader, one thing that you see is that he's a believer. He trusts the Lord and the word of the Lord over. You know, I want you to notice something. Do you realize that, see, in this time, in this day and age, we don't have as much mob mentality as they had at that period of time? I mean, it's actually risen up a little in the last few years, but uh, most of the time, if we get up and say something today, the worst thing that happens to us is somebody really talks bad about us on Facebook, right? <laughs> but in this day and age, you just start saying something like that and calling people on the carpet, they're like, where's some rocks at? Where's some stones? So when they stood up, and they're trying to lead people into the promised land, they're trying to get them to the promise. They're trying to get them, no, don't trust this crappy report, trust God. And they want to kill them. Now see, before you go to judging them too much, I'm telling you, it's been every one of us that's been the ones picking up stones before. I promise you, we've had that heart. But now it's the time, see, you got to understand that sometimes standing up for believing in the things of God it's going to cost you. But see, what you see here is, I think you see a promise from the Lord that in that moment when they want to just destroy you and they want to rip you apart and it looks like your world is all going to fall down, I trust that the glory of God will show up. I trust that the glory will show up in our lives. I trust that when everybody thinks that you're a failure and they think that you're crazy for believing the things that you believe, when you're believing for restoration and believing for protection, no evil shall befall me. Believing for healing that the doctor said is, no, 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 it's terminal. When you're believing for getting out of debt, but there's no way logically that can even happen. And people are sitting there, I'm believing that when people think you're the craziest for trusting a God you can't see, that the glory of God will show up in your life. I believe if he did it for him, he can do it for me, and he'll do it for you. Because he's that kind of God. It's good, good stuff. So then, let's look at Exodus 33. Why did Joshua, first of all, he was a believer. He trusted God. But what set Joshua apart from Caleb? Where's some traits of Joshua here? So the tent of meeting is what you said earlier, and that's exactly right. In verse 7 it says, Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, a good distance from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. In other words, they left their comfort zone and they went to seek God. Y'all are doing that here tonight, this afternoon. All right, it was a lot easier. It's Mother's Day for us. It's, it's Luke's birthday. You know, it's a lot easier for us to sit at home. And I think that's part of why we were feeling when we started tonight, like I don't even feel like being here. It's because our flesh is trying to tell us one thing, but we said, you know what? I'm stepping out of my comfort zone and I'm forcing myself, shut up. You don't have a right. I'm seeking the Lord. I believe God's going to honor everybody that's here tonight simply because you are seeking God when it's uncomfortable. Hallelujah. You ought to be thanking him for that. Just praise God. He's going to honor me for that. And then it says this. He says they would go out and then he says, and everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And it came about whenever Moses went out to the tent, that all the people would arise and stand, each at the entrance of his tent, and gaze after Moses until he entered the tent. 
Whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. It's amazing. He didn't have Jesus. This is an amazing moment here. When all the people saw the pillar of the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would arise and worship each at the entrance of his tent. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face just as a man speaks with his friend. All right. Why was Joshua a leader? How can you be a leader? How can you become a Joshua in your own life? How can you become a leader of people in the ways of God? The first thing was, he's a believer. He was willing to stand up for his belief, even if it cost a stoning. But he's trusting the Lord. He's a believer, and he's not making excuses for it. Look, I know they may be about to stone me, but I'm telling you, by golly, this is what we should be doing. We should be getting into that promised land and taking it. We can overcome it. So he's a believer. Now, I'm not letting the world tell me about how all the excuses why we shouldn't enter. I'm believing God that we should. And he stood up for it. He's a believer. He's not just talking about it, but he actually is putting his money where his mouth is. He's putting his life where his heart is. Putting his life on the line for his beliefs. That's number one. Number two is he wanted the presence of God. And he stayed in the presence. Here in verse 11. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. He wouldn't depart from it. He wanted to stay there at the tent of meeting. He wanted to stay in the presence of the Lord. He honored God. He esteemed him. You notice also there, it also says this, that he was a servant. And that's the third one. He was a believer. He wanted the praise, stayed in the presence. He was a servant. He served. He served. He served. You know, serving, sometimes it doesn't look fun to the flesh, but man, it's awesome. You know, my serving today has changed from what it used to be. I can remember when serving for me was cleaning toilets. That was serving for me. That was, you know, and, and I felt called the pastor, you know, in the middle of feeling called the pastor. That's what I'm doing, but that's how I was serving. My, and my serving today, it's a little bit cleaner in the flesh, but in the spiritual, it may be more dirty because sometimes I'm cleaning up y'all's messes and it's ugly and it doesn't smell good. Right? Like, that's pretty funny to me. I want to laugh right now, but y'all are not laughing. So, anyway. Sometimes it, it seems like it's more messy. It definitely is. Uh, I, I can tell you there, there's a lot more emotion that has to be dealt with than cleaning up uh, church messes than it is, you know, the toilet. The toilet doesn't talk back, you know. It might smell a little bit, but it doesn't talk back. It doesn't, give, it doesn't leave me because I'm trying to help it. <laughs> it just stays right in place. <laughs> Nicole's like laughing. Sometimes it, it doesn't, you know, just doing that is a lot easier. But here's the thing. He was a servant. Those that will be the least will be the greatest. We've got to take on a servant's heart. To, to walk in a leadership like Joshua, we've got to be a believer. We've got to be in the presence of God. You know, we've got to not forsake the assembling. We've got to be there. We've got to go after the Lord and walk in His ways. But we also have to be a servant. We have to serve. This is our job. Pastors, you're servants. You're a servant first. You're servant. And that's the same thing for all of us. We should take on that servant role. Jesus didn't come to rule before He came to serve. He came to serve, and because He served, He was able to rule. You see? And then, the last thing, go over to Deuteronomy, I think it's 34. 34, 9. Right before Joshua takes over the leadership role. 34, 9, it says, Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom, 
for Moses had laid his hand of, hands on him. And the sons of Israel listened to him and did as the Lord commanded Moses. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. Joshua had received. Joshua had been imparted to. Joshua had been somebody that had submitted, served and submitted himself, and he received. He received. He was imparted to by his leader. And then they listened. Isn't it funny that in the very same verse that it says that all of Israel listened to him like they listened to Moses, in the very same verse, it's tied in there where it says Moses basically anointed him and imparted into him. There's so many things that we cannot walk in and walk in a leadership. Why was Caleb not the leader? Because I don't see Caleb being written about staying at the tent of meeting. Now, I don't know. I wasn't there. But I've got no scriptures for that. But i got scriptures for Joshua staying in the presence of God. I've got scriptures for Joshua being a servant. I've got scriptures for Joshua being so much tied to his leader that he was there to be imparted into and to receive and understand that there's a a relationship that God formed between a leader and that person, a disciple and the discipler, a father figure, so to speak, so the impartation can happen. Joshua was in that place. Both of them were believers, but we see Joshua in the presence of God, a servant, and allowing himself to be imparted to. And then all of a sudden, he stepped into place as the ruler of Israel, and the people listened to what he said. And then we know that he went on and he was strong and courageous and he kept the word in his mouth and he meditated on it day and night. And these are the ways that he made his way successful. See, he could have stepped into leadership and still not been successful, but he did what the Lord showed him. He did what the Lord had commanded him to do. He walked in the ways of a holy God. He walked in holy ways. Let's be a Joshua that walks in these things, that submits ourselves to being a servant, that submits ourselves to leadership, that submits ourselves to the presence of God and submits ourselves to the promise of God. It's all about submission to the things of God. This is how Joshua became who he was. This is how Joshua took the people straight across the Jordan and took down Jericho. This is how Joshua went in and just wiped the land of, of, the land of promise and moved in in the power of God because he submitted himself. There's a power of humbling ourselves in submission, not just to a man. He didn't just submit himself to a man. He submitted himself to God's plan to God's man, to God's roles, to God's presence, to God's promises. He submitted himself. This is why we have the book of Joshua and not the book of Caleb. Because he submitted himself. And you know what? That takes putting down our flesh. But how many of us really in our hearts, we want to be walking out Joshua type lives? Yeah, all of us. But it doesn't happen. We don't get Joshua-type lives without living a Joshua-type life, which is a life of submission to the things of God. We have to be purpose, and we have to be intentional. Not make excuses for it. Not say, well, everybody else does it this way. No, no, no. We're not living in everybody else kind of life. We're not called to live in everybody else kind of life. We're called to live a life of hope and promise. That's going to take something different than every, what everybody else does. If you want different from what everybody else gets, then you've got to live a life that's different from what everybody else does. You've got to be willing to stand up for your beliefs. You've got to be willing to, to get out of your comfort zone and get in the presence of God. You've got to be willing to be a servant. You've got to be willing to let a man of God or woman of God impart into you and submit yourself to the plan of God. It doesn't happen other ways. It doesn't happen in other, other ways. You look at it, that pattern is clear throughout most of the word. That's the way that it happened. So right now, I just want us to just stand up, just play some music just lightly. And I just want us to worship. Lord, we believe your word. Confess it if you want to. Lord, we believe your word. 
Today, things are changing for me. Today, things are different. Because I showed up here, the Holy Spirit, He's helping me. He's strengthening me. He's empowering me. He's comforting me. He's bringing a comfort to my life, a supernatural comfort I could not bring to myself. The Holy Spirit is helping me. We're going to believe the promise just like Joshua believed the word of the Lord. Lord, we believe in you as a savior. We believe in you as a healer. We believe in you as a prosperer. We believe in you, Lord, as a pro our protector. We believe in you as our restoration. We believe in you as our deliverance from anything that would be a stronghold in our life. Deliverance is ours in Jesus' name. We believe in you, Jesus, as our savior who saves us from any trouble, any problem. He's our savior. That's his nature. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Lord, we declare, we declare, Lord, that we're addicted to your presence. Lord, we will not stay in our comfort zone, but Lord, we will stay in the place of your presence. We will go after you. Lord, if you're doing something in the place where we're planted, we will go after you. We will be in that place. We will honor you. We will stay. And Lord, we are servants. We will be servants every day. We're serving this community. We're serving this church. We're serving this people. We're serving you, Father. We're servants. We're servants. We are servants, Lord. We're submitting ourselves to serve. And Lord, we're submitting ourselves to leadership. We're not above needing leadership. We're not above needing impartation in our lives. We're submitting ourselves to your word and your promise. We're submitting ourselves to your presence. We're submitting ourselves to serve. And we're submitting ourselves to leadership. It's the way your anointing flows. And Lord, we don't want to live everyday lives. We want to live Joshua-type lives, Jesus-type lives, Holy Spirit-type lives. We want to live it, and we will have it in Jesus' name.